Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Aren't you glad this morning that we get to come to celebrate Jesus? Aren't you glad this morning that we get to come and to say to the rest of the world that our King is alive, our King is ready to save, and our King that we serve is a King who has come, is a King who is coming again. Now let me just say this, there is no one, and hopefully you're here today and we all agree on this front, if not, hopefully by the end of this service you will agree at this, there is no one like Jesus. There is no one who has taken this world and radically changed it, turned everything upside down like Jesus has done. There is no one as significant, or will there ever be anyone as significant who has ever walked the earth as Jesus Christ. And here's the reason that we as Christians follow Him. It's because of how majestic He is. We follow Him because of His greatness. We follow Him mainly because He is God. Now think about what Jesus has come. Jesus, when He came to us, where, where we are, He has come, and in His coming, He has come to cut a path to blessedness. He has come to us who are lost as if we were in a, a forest deep and dark with many obstacles to keep us from getting to blessedness, to keep us from getting to Jesus. Jesus has come to where we are, into our forsakenness, into our darkness, into our brokenness. He has come to cut a path in this desolate land all so that He could lead us to glory. Now think about what we've been doing today. We have been studying the Beatitudes for a few weeks, and today we've made it all the way in Matthew chapter 5 to verse 5. And if you have your Bible here today, go ahead and take it and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And remember, as we're turning over there, remember about these Beatitudes. These are blessed statements that our Lord has said, and what these statements do is they show us what perfect provision is all about. So these statements that we have been, have been seeing, they are these statements that from the mouth of the Lord that they really take us and they strike the earth like a massive asteroid. And these statements of our Lord, they really change everything. And here's what we need to understand from the Beatitudes, from these statements of blessedness. Jesus has come to remake the world. That's the reason that He came. He didn't come to just be some little Jesus that you can put in a pocket somewhere and pull Him out whenever you need Him or just be this, this Jesus that looks like in some pictures and paintings you may see that Jesus looks like He just came out of a beauty parlor. You know, He's got rosy cheeks, nice, and He's got His hair just big. Jesus has come to be a conquering King. Jesus has come to take everything and sum everything up in His own self. And so He has come to remake humanity to turn those of us who are blasphemous lovers of self, He has come to take us and turn us into grateful, heartfelt worshipers of God. That's what Jesus has come to do. And so we are studying the Sermon on the Mount, and the steps that lead up to the top of the Sermon on the Mount are the successive sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ that all begin with, Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, Blessed are. And each of these, as we've said, these Beatitudes, each of them are linked together. And what they do when they're linked together, they reveal a complete picture of perfect provision. They reveal a picture of 
blessedness. Each of them reveal the change that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to make into the world. Think about what we've already seen. We've seen the poor in spirit. We've seen the mournful. And today, we look at the meek. And each one of these, poor in spirit, mournful, and meek, all have the same thing said about each one of them. And that is, the Lord says, blessed are these. So let's read the Bible together, beginning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for bringing us to this moment. Help us today to honor you, to hear your voice clearly, to learn your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now think about what we just read. Think about where we've been, the poor in spirit. That speaks of our condition. We have nothing to offer God. We are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Then after the poor in spirit, our condition, then we have the mournful. Speaks of our contrition. We are those who are mournful over our sins. We are weeping over how sinful we are. And then today, we have before us the meek, which speaks of our control. Now, meekness comes from a heart that realizes that you and I, we have nothing to offer God, and we are mournful over our own sinfulness. So we then come to this condition. It's all building up. We realize we have nothing to offer God. We weep over our condition. And so the result of those is a person who is meek. And if there is a term today that is most misunderstood, it is this term, meek. Think about it just for a minute. When you think of a man who is meek, what do you think about? Do you think of a macho man when you think about someone who's meek? Do you think of a tough guy when you hear the word meek? Oftentimes today, I'm afraid that people wrongfully associate meekness with weakness. But listen carefully to me today. Meekness cannot be weakness. You say, how do you know? Well, because of what Jesus says about himself in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. Listen to what it says. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. Then what does he say? For I am gentle. That's the same word there. Meek. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Now let's just stop right there for just a minute. Jesus calls himself meek. How many of you out there would even dare think that Jesus was a weak man? Just read your Bible. If you think that, it's okay if you think that. You're wrong, but it's okay. Think that and just read your Bible. Let the Bible then interpret how you think because the Bible is always right. We are not always right. Read the Bible and see Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And if that wasn't hard enough, where was He fasting? He was in the wilderness, the Bible says, with wild animals. Read the Bible and you see Jesus taking a whip, running money changers, these businessmen who were inside the temple, 
doing this thing. Could you imagine someone who is weak going and taking a whip, overturning tables, running people out of where they were? Read the Bible and see Jesus being flogged by Pilate, being beaten by soldiers, having a crowd calling for his blood, and looking into the eyes of this Roman governor named Pilate after this governor had asked Jesus questions and then Jesus refuses to answer these questions. Pilate gets a little frustrated and here this guy is who has the power to crucify him, the power to let him go. The governor looks at Jesus and says, you dare not answer me? Do you not know what kind of power I have? And then Jesus looks at him and says, you would have no power unless it had not been given to you from above. Read the Bible and see Jesus who could have called all of heaven down to save Himself from dying on the cross. He was being led like a lamb to the slaughter. And then the Bible says that He opened not His mouth. No, my dear friend, meekness is not weakness. Listen, meekness is strength under control. Meekness is strength with gentleness. Now, let's think about it today together. Because I want you to learn what meekness is. Meekness is different from humility. People oftentimes get these two things confused. Meekness is not humility. Humility is a feeling that you have about yourself. Meekness is not about how you treat yourself, but how you treat others. A meek person has strength, but that strength is under control. You see, the word meek is a very rich word if we look at it and what it has meant we learn more from what things meant in the past and what they mean now or our connotations about them the word meek is a rich word as it was used it lost its flavor today but it's rich with its meaning the greeks and some of the old farmers they still use the term meek and it's that they would use this term as a process of taking a horse that's a wild horse taking this horse and making this wild horse a horse that is intended for some kind of work, whether it's riding him or putting him on a plow, whatever the case may be. If you were going, this process is called meeking a horse. How many of you have ever heard that term, meeking a horse? Anyone here today? Well, good, some of you have. So this whole idea then, if you have a bucking, bronking, snorting bronco who you intend to ride and use for work, well, you have to use something to get his strength under control now with horses what do you do well you put bits and bridles in their mouth and you strap a saddle on them and you ride them hopefully better than I did the last time I rode one he threw me off anyway that's another story but that's what you do with horses you put bits and bridles some of you are thinking yeah I'd have bucked you off too buddy but anyway with horses you do bits and bridles well what do you do with people how do you put people's strength under control well what does Jesus do he does it with grace and with the power of the Holy Spirit Now listen to me very carefully. A wild horse has to be broken before it can be used. And the same is true with you and me. We are those who have to be broken before God can use us. We are wild at heart. We are lost in our sins, just content to go wander here and yonder any which way. We are those who are lost in our sins. And so what does our Lord do? He comes to us where we are in our condition of wandering, in our condition of sinfulness. He comes to us in our broken condition. He comes to us and He says to us, You are poor in spirit. 
you should mourn over your sinfulness. So he comes to us and he says, you are poor in spirit. And so what does that do? We believe him as a result of that. We mourn. Then what does he do? Then it's after he breaks us down that then he makes us equipped and able to be used of him to fulfill whatever purpose he has for us. What is the purpose that He has for us? In this case, blessed are the meek. What's the Bible say? For they shall inherit the earth. So what does God intend to use you for? Well, it's pretty simple. It's pretty good. Inherit the earth. But we'll get to that in just a few minutes. So think about it just for a minute. This whole idea, though, if if we are going to be used of God, we first then have to be meek. We have to be broken. This whole idea of brokenness is not very popular in maybe some of your thinking, but surely in our general climate of the world today. The world says, live like you want. Do whatever you please. Whatever pleases you, just go ahead and do it. Be who you are. Go ahead and try everything. That's the message of the world today. You want to call a man a woman? Fine, go ahead. You want a man to marry another man? Hey, fine, whatever makes them happy, whatever suits their fancy, all in the name of this word that we have in our culture today called equality, right? As if everything is equal. But somehow, the Bible says this. Against all of those things, all of this whole do what you want, live like you want, live like you want to live, it's your life, live it. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof leads to death. I'm just going to tell you, most people don't understand the message of Christianity. They look at this whole idea of brokenness, they look at this idea of, of, what, of brokenness, and they want to run right from brokenness because we are, we're just content to live our life. But listen carefully to me. God's desire for you and me is not to cripple us. God's desire for us is to break us, not cripple us. There's a difference. We don't want to cripple the horse. We don't want to leave him a three-legged horse instead of a four-legged horse. We want him to run in full stride, but we just want him running in the right direction. Not chasing after his own ways, not chasing after his own destruction, but chasing after what's going to lead him to life. You see, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says about you, the Bible says about me. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the Bible says that we have gotten off track. We are those who were intended to head down the quickest path to glory, down the straightest path to worshiping God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the Bible says that we have gotten off track. For whatever reason, we are running. All of humanity, the Bible says, left to themselves, are running headlong to disaster. Listen, you have to understand this. It's not as if everybody's on the right track and then, you know, we're going to pull them off into a better track. It's not better or worse. It's right and wrong. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof, it only leads to death. And so God then says, here is the right way. Here is the path. What did Jesus do when He came? This is so important for us to understand and know. Jesus said, I'm not just a God amongst gods. I'm just not a way amongst ways. He says, I am the God. I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. All of those things are important. The, the, the. It speaks of what is. He says, I am this. In other words, there's no other. Jesus is it. 
So the rest of the world is headlong running in the wrong direction. Christ has come to take our wrong direction and turn us back on the right direction. Listen, we don't need to be crippled. But we need to be broken. We were talking this morning in our Foundation's new members class. I think that oftentimes the world has this idea that Christianity is, is here to keep us from uh, having fun and all of these things. You know, you, you can't live your life. Let's say you're a very ambitious person, then you come to Jesus. You well, forget your ambition, just leave it at the door. Or some people think you know you're an intellectual person. Well, if you come to Christianity, you just have to take your thinking hat and leave it at the door. No, no, no. Christ does not mean to cripple us. He means to break us. So then, our strengths can be put under control. The question is, is whose control? Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? His control. And who in the world is He? He is the God of the ages. He's the one who said black was black. He's the one who said white was white. He's the one who said orange is orange. He's the one who said all the rest. A is A, B is B, C is C. We can go down the list. We're the ones that want to argue. Oh, no, Lord, black is not black. That really is not black. There's no such thing as white. White's just a combination. of. Jesus says, this is the way. Listen to this passage. In uh, Romans chapter 6, listen to what it says. We need to have our strengths put under control. Listen to what Romans 6 says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Listen to this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But then the Bible says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And then present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And so, in other words, what's the point of that passage? The point of that passage is to say this. You were once living in a way that sin was allowed to take your talents, your gifts, your ambitions, your desires, and you were living it in light of sin. Living it in light of pursuing your own passions, your own ends. Now, the Bible says, now that we've been saved, we take all of that, put it under the subjection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He takes our ambitions, He takes our desires, and then He makes them what He wants them to be so that we can be used by Him. Psalm 37, what did we just read? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, how many of you this morning would love to have the desires of your heart? Everybody would, right? How many of us then are going to say that we are looking forward to delighting ourselves in the Lord? You see the key? The key to having all of your desires is to desire the right thing. God then comes and tells us what it is that we desire and what it is that we should desire. And the sum of it all, what we should desire is Jesus. And Jesus alone. You see, we thought that we were free before Jesus came. We thought that like that horse in the middle of that field running, bucking wild, living like we wanted to, we thought that we were free, but that's okay if there's not anything to hold us accountable. Our freedom was no freedom at all. Because remember who Jesus is. He's not just some teacher presenting some platitudes. He is the one who's come to tell us to rip the veil back to show us what indeed is true, to show us what indeed is reality. He has shown us that there is a God in heaven. He has shown us that there is a judgment awaiting all men. He has shown us what is life. And so He has come to tell us, and hey, listen, you think that you're free, but your freedom is not freedom. You are living your life a slave to sin. So now what has our Lord done? Our Lord has come seeking and saving, and then we, by grace, 
get to live our lives in full for Jesus. That's what we do. Everything that we do is for Jesus. Listen carefully to me today. Listen closely. Never make the mistake of thinking that a meek Christian is someone who is weak. You know what a meek Christian is? A meek man is a man who is ready to give all of their passions, everything that they are, to Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. What does that mean? Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2. He says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then, okay, that's great. Super spiritual, right? This is how we spiritualize the Bible. And so we're just living for Jesus. And then what does Paul say? The next thing that he says in Galatians chapter 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says this, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what happened to Paul? He lived his life so radically on mission with God that it cost him his life. He was able to look into the face of Nero's men who were ready to behead him. And they asked him the question, perhaps. I don't know, I wasn't there. History doesn't tell us what happened. History just tells us that Paul's head was removed from his shoulder because he had a declaration that Jesus is king and not Caesar. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that meekness is weakness. A meek man is a man who is ready to give all their passions to Jesus Christ. You see, meek Christians are those Christians like John Leonard Dobear and David Nitchman. One day these two were in the 1700s, they were sitting in a church service one day where they heard about this certain island in the West Indies that had never had any gospel witness. And so this pastor tells this story of this atheist who is a slave owner who uh, lives on this island who has 3,000 slaves under his command. And these slaves would live and these slaves would die never having a chance to hear about the good news that Jesus saves. And so Dobear and Nitschman, they organized this plan. You know what they said? Their plan was to go and to reach these people. And so in their early 20s, they made a decision to go to the slaves to share the gospel with their slaves. And you know what they decided to do? Sell themselves into slavery so that they could live and be among these 3,000 slaves. Sell themselves into slavery. That was their plan. All because they determined that Jesus was better and greater than anything this world could ever offer. Weakness? Not weakness. Meekness. Now today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you today about the beginning of your greatest ambition. I want to talk to you today about the beginning of what ambition is all about. And I want to give you three truths about the meek this morning. Number one, the meek are those who delight in brokenness. Remember the context of the Beatitudes. Remember the condition. The condition of the poor in spirit. The contrition. Those are the mournful. 
And as a result, look at what happens. There is control. We, we who are broken, we who know our condition, we who are broken about our condition, what do we do? We give all of ourselves over to Jesus. You see, here's the truth that we have to learn this morning. It's after God breaks us. It's after we come to the end of ourselves and then the only thing that we can do is approach Him and cast ourselves totally at His feet, giving ourselves entirely to Him for all that He wants us to be. And there's some that never make it to this point. Some of you here today, you've not made it to that point. Some of you today, it really sounds really good for you to live your life with Jesus, but you know what? That's just all it is. It's just a great idea. It's just simple idealism. You're just like an archer who has this great idea that he's going to hit this target, but you know he never goes and buys a bow. He goes and buys the target. He's got the target out there. He never buys any arrows. He never buys any bows, but he still calls himself an archer because he has a target. Many of us, many of you perhaps, you've never come to this point where you have given your life entirely to Jesus and truly mean that if He calls you to go here, then you would go there because you have this dream that you're pursuing. Your life, your end, instead of you giving your all to Jesus. So many are so stubborn, you never get to this point of realizing that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, so you're ready and willing to lay your life down to do whatever Jesus says. I remember the day that it happened to me. I remember where I was. I remember how old I was. And you know what? Here's the truth. When I came forward that day and, and I told my church family that I was going to give my life to Jesus and I entered into the full-time ministry, you know what I've done since then? You know how many times I've given my ministry back to God? That's what He does. It's not just one-time decision. It's a decision that happens one time that lasts a lifetime. Because we determine that we are not our own. We are determined that we are His. We are meek. We are those who are ready to cast ourselves wholly at the feet of Jesus. But so many of you never make it to this point. You're so stubborn. You're so hard-headed. Just imagine this. Imagine that you're playing golf. I know some of you don't know what golf is. It's that little game that you've got a little white ball and clubs, all right? That's golf. Some of you, you think that you know what golf is, but I've, I've seen you play. Anyway, <clears throat> so just think about this for just a moment. Here you are playing golf. You come up to this par three, and it's a hole in one, and it's a challenge hole. So here's the scenario. If you make a hole in one, then you're going to win $1 million. Here's the catch. You come up to the hole, you ride your cart, because nobody walks, right? We're all riding the cart together. We come up there, and here's the catch. We look, and we see the challenge hole. We see the money laying in the briefcase. We see the big guard guarding it. We look beside the big guard, and there is Phil Mickelson, who is a pro golfer. Here's the catch. You can either shoot yourself. You can either try to make the shot yourself, or you can let Phil Mickelson take the shot for you. No matter who makes the shot, you are the pro golfer. You still get to keep the money if he makes it. Now, how many of you would let the pro golfer take the shot? How many of you would say, no, 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 I'm going to take the shot myself? I've seen some of you play. You really need to let Phil Mickelson take the shot. Believe me. But you know the shame of it is? 
and that's just a stupid scenario about golf, but the shame of it is, is that it teaches a, a lesson to us, is that maybe you or maybe somebody you know are just so stupid and hard-headed, and I say that term with all the love in my heart, stupid and hard-headed, that you would rather take the shot yourself and probably end up missing a chance of the greatest adventure of a lifetime. Maybe you know someone. Maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe it's not just someone. Maybe this is you. You know someone that you see the grace of God in their life. You see that for whatever, man, for whatever reason, they just, grace after grace, God has given them chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity. And then you look and you see that God is calling you. You see God pursuing you, calling you to Himself. And for whatever stupid reason, you think that you can do this thing on your own when the God of the universe has left heaven, has moved heaven and earth to make you His very own. The God of the universe is watching you, pleading with you, standing over you, saying, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And if you just come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. Lay down your pursuits. Lay down your arms. Pledge your allegiance me so the meek are those who delight in brokenness because hey we would rather be broken and put back together by our lord jesus christ than to remain in a state of fractureness the meek delight in brokenness because it's from our brokenness that praise comes it's from god breaking us that then we know what it means to praise It's after we've seen our condition as a poor and miserable sinner with spiritually bankrupt and when we see our condition it moves our heart to be mournful with contrition then after that we are ready to give our whole hearts over to god whatever he says wherever he leads that's where i'm going to go you see it's through our brokenness you and I become effective for God. When God can finally take our lives and He can really mean it when we say it, let our lives be all that God desires for us to be. You see, who are the meek? We are those who have come to the end of our rope. We've done all that we can do. Maybe we've pursued all that we can pursue. Maybe we're at the end of our rope. Some ropes are longer than others, right? But we are those who have all the same thing, no matter how long the rope is. We've all come to the end of our rope. And we have leapt safely into the everlasting arms of Jesus. And we have found the greatest rest in just simply letting go. Number two this morning. The meek are those who trust in God. The life of the meek is a life that's filled full of trusting in God. Now listen to me carefully. This is the reason that I don't want you to see meekness as weakness. The greatest ambition in your life is trusting in God. You know how hard it is to let go and let God? Oh, we say that, right? Put it on your bumper sticker, write it on your mirror. Let go and let God. You know how hard that is? Especially in our world. Especially in our life. But hey, we are those who realize that the greatest ambition in our life is trusting in God. Can you think, dear friends, of anything greater, of anything more staggering, of anything more scary than letting go and letting God? I can think of one thing more staggering. And I can think of one thing scarier than letting go and letting God. You know what it is? Holding on and not letting go. You want to live your life with security? Let go. You want to live your life with insecurity? Keep holding on. 
seeing what it is as God takes what it is that you're holding on to, listen carefully to me, and he turns it into ashes. God's word could not be more clear. Quit resting on yourself and start trusting in God. And I know, listen, it is so revolutionary, but it is so right. It's the way that we should live. It's the way that He's called us to live. Realize your condition. Be broken over your condition and then give your broken self over to God to put you back together again, to make you fit to do whatever it is He wants you to do. My kids were watching Netflix the other day and they stumbled across an old Mickey Mouse cartoon from Disney. And I love those old cartoons, you know, when they go beat each other in the head with frying pans. I love that. I just love it. That's the way I was raised, so I love it. I just love it. And so here we this big old giant terrorizing the town and, and he comes across a haystack with a tarp that's covering it. And so naturally, what's the giant do? He takes the uh, hay with that tarp and he sees it's got hay, it's got the tarp, so he rolls him a cigarette. He rolls him a cigarette, and then what does he do? Well, he's got this nice rolled cigarette, so he, he goes and he takes the roof off of this house, and he finds a wood-burning stove, and he lights that cigarette and starts puffing. And I'm watching this with my kids. Now, today's standard, you know, that's old Disney, old Mickey Mouse, but today's standard, it'd be rated PG for substance use, right? My, how the pattern has changed as it relates to smoking. Who would have ever imagined that it would be immoral for a cartoon to show a character lighting up a cigarette. Who would have thought that back then the current climate about smoking would be so different? Smoking today is not presented in the light that it once was. People today are more sensitive to the fact because they know that smoking causes all sorts of trouble. I mean, golly, I picked up a pack of cigarettes the other day. I found it on the ground. Picked up a pack of cigarettes the other day and I noticed there was a Surgeon General's warning on it. And, and you remember the old Surgeon General's warning used to be had to get the magnifying glass to get it out. Nowadays, it's this big. The carton's only this big and the message is this big. It says, smoking causes cancer. It didn't say may cause. It says it does. Smoking will kill you. You've got all these ads, stopsmoking.com and all the rest. Now for people to get off nicotine and all sorts, they got patches, they got pills, they got programs, they got everything. Think about it. We have trouble trusting in God because every message that we hear says in our world, don't trust in God. But if we would just take the first leap and place our faith in God, then we would never want to pick up not trusting God again. The climate has to change in your attitude. The world was pursuing something that they thought was good. Everybody used to smoke, right? Nowadays, no, don't, don't you dare smoke, especially not in front of the kids. The climate in your heart has to change as well. Stop pursuing something that's going to kill you. Stop pursuing something that's bad for you. Start pursuing what life is all about. You see, here's the reason I say trusting in God will take your whole heart. Trusting in God is not for the faint of heart because there is a life to be lived and it's to be lived to the full because there is an entire world who needs your talents, who needs your giftings, who needs your ambitions to do all that you can do for King Jesus. And so we better make every opportunity with every effort that we can to live our life wholly for Jesus. You see, listen to me. Trusting in God isn't some isolated thing. You can't just wake up and say, you know, I'm going to trust in God today, but you know, I'm just going to take a nap today. Trusting in God 
has a bearing on how you and I view everything. We are trusting in God. We're not leaning on our own understandings in all of our ways. We're acknowledging Him. And in every way, in every purpose, God is directing our path. And when all the world around us seems to be in despair, we're not in despair. Why? Because we're trusting in God. When others come up to us and revile us, we don't revile back in return. Why? One reason. We are trusting in God. You say, how in the world can we do this? We are the meek. We believe what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Then what does it say about the meek in verse 5? They shall inherit the earth. Number three this morning, listen to this. This is the best part of meekness. The meek are those who possess everything. Now this beatitude right here, chapter 5 and verse 5, you know what Jesus is doing? He's quoting from the Old Testament. It is a direct quote, as Cheryl just read earlier today, it is a direct quote from Psalm 37, verse 11. And you heard it this morning. What does Psalm 37, 11 say? It says, the meek shall inherit the land. And so listen, if you want to know what meekness means, just go read Psalm 37. Read the whole thing. We just read the first 11 verses. Go home today. Write it in your margin. Read Psalm 37. That's what it means to be meek. But Psalm 37, 11 says, it's the meek who shall inherit the land. You say, wait a minute, land, earth? What's the connection there? This reference to the earth, is it's calling it the land, is this long anticipation of the day when the whole earth will become the land where the name of Jesus reigns supreme as King. This word land refers to this day, this long anticipation of the Old Testament when the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, when the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Christ and we're going to reign with Him forever and ever and ever. That's why He says, blessed are those who are meek. You're going to inherit what it is that I inherit. And what has He inherited? The whole earth. Listen closely to me. It's not just some ethereal out yonder somewhere that will happen. This inheritance of the earth is already happening now. And it started to happen when Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We who are the meek, we who are those who have truly abandoned ourselves to God, we who have abandoned ourselves totally to God are those who have nothing, yet we possess Everything. Why is this? Here's the reason. Because Christ has made us His very own. And we understand that Christ is everything. He's everything that we want. He's everything that you could ever want. He's every desire that we could ever desire that's good. Jesus. It's all summed up in Jesus. We love Him. We worship Him. We want to have our lives to truly not just think that we're all about Him, but to look back and look at our life and say, this is how I am trusting in Jesus. And if I'm not trusting in Jesus, then I'm not going to go into that business deal. Then I'm not going to take that job. Then I'm not going to raise my kids that way. Then I'm not going to buy that whatever. We are trusting wholeheartedly in Jesus. So how about you this morning? Are you meek? You want that to be a characteristic of you? I hope you do. Because Jesus said, blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the earth. 
Only the meek are those who inherit the earth. Think about this. That's quite a statement, isn't it? You have something waiting for you. And what's waiting for you is the entire earth. Think about it a different way. Imagine what the one who gives us the earth must be like. You see, this is Jesus. We bow to Him. We worship Him. We give our whole hearts to Him. We adore Him. And I just want to ask you this morning, are you one who can truly say that you have given yourself wholly to Him? We use this phrase like reckless abandonment. It's not reckless. It may be radical, but it's not reckless. The recklessness would be to not give yourself to Jesus. Because whatever it is you think that you're holding on to, if it's outside of what He desires, one day it's just going to be ashes anyway. All to Jesus I surrender. Have you given yourself to Him? This morning, I want to tell you that you are invited this morning to come to the end of yourself to cast every care that you have. All of your concerns. Cast your total self all on Jesus. To take His yoke upon you. And maybe for the first time in a long time or maybe for the first time to find rest for your soul. Maybe there's someone here today who's ready to let go. Maybe God has told you what it is that you need to let go. You're invited to come. At the conclusion of this sermon, as we stand and sing, you are invited to come. Maybe someone today is ready to let go. Why don't this day be the day that you let it go? Why don't you come declare all to Jesus I surrender? All to Him I freely give. Blessed are the meek. There's something waiting for them. There's an inheritance. They shall inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for loving us. Would you take our life, Lord, and break us down so that there's nothing left of us, that every ounce of our being, every beat of our heart, everything that we are, may it be totally Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. How we love Him. How we trust Him. And oh, give us grace to trust You more. We love You, our King, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.